places in the Alton area that have become as infamous as the place that has long been known as the Hartford Castle. It is a house that has been plagued with rumors of murder, of bootleg liquor, and especially of ghosts. Much of the history of the castle, which was officially known as Lakeview, has been lost, or in many cases never existed at all. It was a house built for love that became overshadowed by grief, despair, and the bizarre, and it became a place of mystery. It seems that what the locals didn't know about the castle as eccentric owner, they simply made up. But as we'll soon see, truth is often stranger than fiction. Welcome to the latest episode of American Hauntings, the podcast dedicated to the history, hauntings, legends, and lore of America's past. Hosted by Cody Beck and Troy Taylor, our first season explores the hauntings of Alton, Illinois, one of the most haunted small towns in America. In 1913, a now-forgotten writer for the St. Louis Globe Democrat wrote this about Lakeview. Midway between East St. Louis and Alton, Illinois, along the electric line connecting the two towns, there is a castle-like home that for years has been attracted the attention of travelers and has been the subject of vague rumors and conjecture in the countryside. People living in the vicinity call it the Haunted Palace on the Hill. The house stands on a knoll overlooking the surrounding country and with its strange and picturesque surroundings is easily visible from the car window. There is something of a medieval air about this place. This has been heightened by the unbroken quiet of the spot, by the tendency of those in the neighborhood to suspect something strange and unnatural about it, and by the peculiar arrangement of the grounds. It was, I think it goes without saying, an unusual place. The castle was like nothing else to be found in the area, and its rural location along Cahokia Creek and near the small town of Hartford caused a lot of gossip when it was built back in 1896. The house was built by J.J. Bazant, a real estate investor and contractor from Los Angeles. No one seems to know why he chose to build his lavish estate near Alton, but he originally intended to be a summer home for himself and his English wife. Possessing perhaps more money than good sense, he designed Lakeview as an homage to his wife's home country with towers, turrets, and even a castle moat that was dug by workers with teams of horses. The excavated earth was used to create the knoll in which the house was built, looming high enough that Bazant and his bride could look out over the countryside from their third floor windows. When the castle was completed, it boasted towers and turrets that could be seen from the distant road, were 14 rooms, numerous fireplaces, and even its own water and electrical plant on the grounds. The floors were made of imported cypress wood and the ceilings supported by hand-carved columns. Crystal chandeliers were used in the mirror-lined main hall, and music could be heard drifting out over the fields in the evening. But it was the grounds of the estate that really got the locals talking. Bazant dug a 50-foot moat that completely surrounded the estate. The only access to the grounds was by means of a drawbridge over the moat. The drawbridge wasn't difficult to cross, but once on the other side of it, a visitor would be confronted by a labyrinth of walks and gravel paths that weaved throughout the grounds. The gardens were decorated with gazebos and statues of all types, including those of fierce-looking dogs, which lined the moats and menaced from the bushes. A stone bridge was built to reach an island in the middle of the small lakes that adjoined the moat, and the lakes were used for swimming. Bazant kept them all stocked with goldfish. Lakeview became the scene of exclusive parties that lasted long into the night and sometimes until dawn. Stories circulated about Bazant's spectacular billiards room and about the high-stakes card games that often took place there. Music, voices, and laughter echoed out across the surrounding fields and lights could be seen blazing in the house from miles away. Locals were scandalized by the wild parties that allegedly took place at the castle. Stories spread of strange things that occurred during those illicit nights, drinking, gambling, dancing, and crazed orgies. The St. Louis Star newspaper hinted that there might be a social upheaval in St. Louis 
if the identity of some of those who visited Lakeview became public knowledge. The paper also went on to say that the honest and plain-spoken farm families of the area were so shocked that they threatened to burn the house to the ground. But the threats became unnecessary because one day, the party simply stopped. The castle that had once been filled with music and lights became silent and dark. The gates were locked, the curtains were closed, and soon it appeared that Lakeview had been abandoned. A pall fell over the castle with the death of Bizant's beloved wife. Unable to cope with the loss, he closed the house and returned to California. Over the next few years, he returned infrequently, too grief-stricken to spend much time at the castle that he had built for the woman he loved and lost. The newspapers claimed that Bizant became involved with a group of spiritualist mediums in Los Angeles, all who promised the wealthy man they could make contact with his dead wife. Bizant continued his search for proof of life after death for the rest of his life, and then he died in California in the 1920s. Did he ever make contact with his late wife? We'll never know, but if he didn't, it's possible that he was perhaps looking in the wrong place. It seemed that Mrs. Bizant may have never left Lakeview. In the years that followed the abandonment of the castle, more strange stories began to be told about the place. Locals refused to set foot on the grounds because they were sure the place was haunted. Lights were often reported flickering behind the windows, even though no one was in the castle now. Bizant had locked the place up tight before departing and had left the estate in the care of an old German named Henry Meyer, who never went inside unless he had to. So if no one was living in the house, how did the lights turn on and off? Who was playing music that could be heard at night, melodies that drifted out across the cornfields? Whose voice was heard calling out in the darkness, or weeping near the gates that were now locked to visitors? It was the ghost of Mrs. Bazant, the locals said, refusing to leave the elaborate castle that her husband helped build for her. In 1913, the stories of Lakeview's haunting spread throughout the region when newspapers reported of an attempted burglary that occurred at the house in March of that year. The house wasn't actually robbed. The thief never had a chance to steal anything, he claimed, because he was terrified by the ghost. The newspapers told the story of Mort Podner, a habitual thief from Edwardsville, Illinois, who decided to break into the castle one night. It was a decision he later regretted. After entering the house, Podner told the police that he was unable to find his way out. In fact, he said that he walked around inside for hours, but never saw the same hallway twice. As he hurried through the darkness trying to find the door, he heard things being dragged across the floor and voices calling out to him. As he tried to find the source of the voice, he only discovered more dark and empty rooms. He was in the house alone. He claimed that the whispers followed him all night until he finally fell down exhausted in a hallway. Henry Meyer, the caretaker, found him lying there the next morning and turned him over to the police. Podner had collapsed only a few feet from the front door. In time, the house was sold, but the ghost stories never really stopped. They continued to be told through various owners, even until the very end of the castle's existence. Over the years, they became jumbled and half-remembered, as did the oranges in the magnificent and, well, mysterious house. Sadly, much of the specific history of the castle has been lost. We're left with only vague records and recollections of its many owners and the many things it was used for. Facts seems to blend with fiction and we can never be sure just how accurate many of the stories that still exist really are. So, for our purposes here, we can offer the alleged incarnations of Lakeview in the 20th century, which include a boys' military school, a home for unwed mothers, and in the 1920s, an inn that was operated as a speakeasy during the Prohibition era. While a rumor, it is a plausible one, the house was isolated enough that it would have kept partygoers and gangsters from being bothered by the law. Rumor has it that the booze at Lakeview was provided to the infamous Shelton brothers, but of course, no one can say for sure. What we do know is that Lakeview was purchased by a couple from nearby Wood River, Illinois in the early 1930s. They lived in the house until 1964. Soon after moving in, they began to be bothered by intruders and trespassers. The castle had been around so long that many in the area treated the grounds like a public park. People roamed the estate at all hours of the night and day. Some even broke into the house and wandered from room to room as if they were on a tour. After finding strangers capped out in their front yard too many times to count, the couples finally decided they would just open the grounds for picnics on the weekends, hoping this would curb the break-ins and the vandalism. 
it didn't. They tried this for a few years, but stopped in the late 1950s. Large no trespassing signs were placed at the gate, but well, they didn't do much good. In 1964, the owner died and his widow moved back to Wood River. There were attempts to rent the house after that, hoping that someone would just remain on the grounds long enough to protect it from vandalism, but, well, it never worked out. After 1964, upkeep on the house and the property came to an end, and the estate crumbled into ruin. By 1972, the castle, after years of damage from thieves or vandals, was beyond saving especially after intruders gutted the place, ripped mantles from the fireplaces, broke the remaining windows, and smashed huge holes in the interior walls. Lakeview was officially condemned by county inspectors. The end finally came for the Hartford Castle on March 21, 1973, when it burned to the ground. An alarm was raised by a motorist driving past, but by the time firefighters arrived on the scene, only a tall chimney and burning embers remained in the castle. Lakeview was destroyed, but believe it or not, parts of it still remain. The once grand estate has been swallowed by a cluster of thick woods and brambles, not far from Hartford. Remnants of the castle exist as broken stone columns, shattered statues, a concrete gazebo, and the dim impression of the estate's once infamous moat. But that's not all. There are also the legends. And well, there's also the ghost. The site of Hartford Castle may be haunted by history, but it's also haunted by the ghost of Byzant's wife. There are those who say that her spectral form can still be sometimes spotted wandering the estate, and that her voice can still be heard as she weeps for the life and the wonderful home that she lost. And then there's the music. They say that on certain nights it can still be heard. It floats through the trees and above the fields on summer nights when the corn grows tall and when sound seems to carry for miles. Perhaps, in another time and place, Lakeview still stands, and well, the party still goes on. Have you ever wanted to learn a new language? And I don't mean like spells or incantations to trap spirits, you weirdos. I mean like a new language that could help you start communicating with more people on this plane today. Then I need to tell you about Rosetta Stone. Look, you know the brand, you know the name. They have the expertise and a 30-year legacy, which makes them more qualified than ever to help you learn a new language today. They've helped millions of people build the fluency and confidence to speak new languages. Now, this is the part where Troy would tell me that I made some kind of grammatical error, but he's not here right now, so like, I don't know, it's like speaking tongues. Rosetta Stone focuses on speaking practice for real-life scenarios to get you ready for real conversations with real people. Or maybe you can even learn how to use some different types of Ouija boards. I don't know. Either way, Rosetta Stone can help you learn faster and retain your new language better. Honestly, Rosetta Stone really would have come in handy for season four of New Orleans because I know we butchered some of those French names and I apologize once again. Now you all know I have a nine to five job when I'm not at the podcast factory and Rosetta Stone actually helped me not make a total fool out of myself while I was in Brazil interviewing celebrities. Obrigado. And now I want to help you. So don't put off learning that new language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, American Hauntings podcast listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today today. Rosetta Stone, how language is learned. Wait, by the way, Troy, like where do words come from? Hey, no, don't, 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 don't walk away. Oh, Troy, where do words Day that the pool opened and it was green, and I still jumped in. <laughs> yeah. It was like Memorial Day. 
I was pretty blacked out at that point. Yeah. Well, you were trying to build up your immunity yes. to algae. That's the so. thing. That's why I'm so healthy. I eat dirt <laughs> all the time just yeah. to, you know. Okay. Now that we've gone there. All right. Welcome to American Hauntings Podcast, where we discuss history, hauntings, legends, lore, and all things paranormal. You are listening to episode 9 of season 1, which delves into the hauntings of Alton, Illinois. I'm your co-host, Cody Beck, and with me, my co-host is author, historian, crime buff, and founder of American Hauntings, Troy Taylor. Hey, well, this was a this was a fun episode. Yeah. This was one we had um, demand for. It's been I, demanded I say, by the people. Well, I was going to say request, but it's been beyond request. Yeah, no, they it took like, it a little too far. Well, what happened was is that I think I made an offhand comment of... On one of our old, like our River Road episode, right? Like three years ago, whenever yeah. we started, it seems and, like a um, lifetime ago. And I said something about, well, we wanted to include Hartford Castle, but it didn't make it, and uh, people had kind of seized on that and and pushed for this. But you know, it was funny because this was one of those things that I had really wanted to delve into more anyway. Yeah. Uh, because uh, I had last year, a woman sent me a bunch of slides. That she had, like, you know, the old slides that you used to oh, put in those talking, carousel. Like PowerPoint. No, 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 like... like real slides. And she'd sent me this collection of slides that her mother had taken uh, in the 60s mm-hmm. at Hartford Castle. And I had not known what to do with them, but found out that you there are places that actually will convert them into digital images. Oh, nice. And uh, I had converted them and had, you know, maybe half, nothing, nothing really earth-shattering, but some close-up views of the castle that yeah. I ended up posting on my uh, my Facebook page uh, because people just really want to know more about it. So that was kind of why we wanted to make sure we did this podcast. And, and I think, though, after everything everyone has heard, yeah. I'm not sure that they learned that many new things because <laughs> there isn't that much to learn. Right, that's the thing. Out. I've heard but, about Hartford yeah. Castle a lot growing up, but I know... Nothing about it aside from what you have told me yeah, just with the just, monologue. That's there, it. There, there really isn't a lot of information. I, we should get into that in a minute. Because um, yeah. really, speaking of responses to the podcast, that's that's something that I wanted to make sure we addressed. Uh, we really have had a lot of great feedback about the about the podcast. Yeah, the response and, has uh, been amazing. Been really happy to hear from people. Um, people have left us. Uh, we've got a lot of reviews on iTunes. Uh, we've gotten a lot of emails and a lot of comments on uh, our Facebook posts that we right. put up about it. And, you know, it's it's been nice to have that kind of response because we didn't know. I mean, we had no idea. We mm-hmm. just thought it'd be fun. Yeah. And which is really why, and I think why we still do it is just because it's fun. I mean, it's not like we're, this isn't really our job, neither one of yeah. our jobs. Yeah. It's just something that we've really got and it's, it's evolving and changing and we've been talking about you know what we're going to do next. What you know, what's beyond Alton, um, right. which is which is funny because we're we're just now we've just posted recently about the Dead of Winter event that we do every year. This is actually our twentieth annual annual Dead of Winter event. We started it in Alton uh, back in uh, I believe ninety eight or so. We started doing wow. this. Well, we started doing this thing because back then, um, you know, the internet was new. Right. A lot of the ghost tours were, were pretty new. We had just started doing ghost tours in Alton. Mm-hmm. But that's all, you know, uh, October stuff. But or you started it in Alton, though. Yeah, we started the Dead of Winter event at the bookstore in Alton. Nice. Um, and it was just something that we thought it would be fun to do because there's nothing to do ghostly in the wintertime. Right. I mean, it was, it, and more so now, but back then there really wasn't. I mean, it was, it was October Halloween only. Yeah. I mean, we started pushing the limits when we started doing tours in the spring and the summer and started to get people more involved outside of the Halloween season. But even 20 years later, I mean, it's Halloween when you get a lot of people who aren't in the ghost community involved in stuff. The public, general public, you know, only thinks that ghost stuff's comes around in October. Right. So, you know, that's when we, you know, we target a lot of our stuff. So we wanted to come up with some kind of event we could do in the wintertime. And so we started doing this Dead of Winter event. And we've been doing it every year since in different places. But we are bringing it back to Alton in 2018. Um, in fact, February the 10th, mark that on your calendars, February 10th at the Mineral Springs Hotel will be our 20th annual Dead of Winter event. And we're going to have, um, well, well, we've got the, the website is up up on AmericanHauntingsInc.com, and I-N-K, Inc. 
and um, you can go and see the, the Dead of Winter lineup. So we've got a, a number of different speakers and stuff that are coming in, and it's all free. It's a completely free daytime event. Nice. Uh, we've got a couple of after-hour events, the, uh, the, the ghost hunt at the Mineral Springs, mm-hmm. and then we're doing a dinner with the dead. Dinner um, with that the I'm dead. That I'm hosting at the Mineral Springs. That's a it's a dinner thing with a with a presentation about death um, awesome. during during dinner. Um, so nothing gets it will my not be that going. gruesome, but you know it might be some. Anyway, um, so we've got a couple of after hour events that are that are paid, but the, the the daytime event is free. And what I'm getting to is that we are going to be doing a live recording of the American Hauntings podcast at. The Dead of Winter event. For the first um, time. Yeah, we're going to do our first live one in front of an actual audience rather than just, you know, friends and family yes. hanging out so with us while we record this. Bear this with is going us. to be the real thing. And uh, you'll have a chance to interact, um, ask questions if you want. And uh, we'll have to, we do have to limit the time because there are other speakers <laughs> during the day. But uh, we'll have a just a short, kind of like we normally do, some kind of winter themed ghost thing that'll be part of the podcast. And then the rest of it is going to be us and you, and right. uh, so within we'll 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 get that up out of order of whatever we're doing at the time. We'll go ahead and throw that in there so that we can have this live show up. Absolutely, so it's going to be fun. So mark that on your calendar, February tenth, twenty eighteen. And all of my drinks will be winter themed for that occasion. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we'll I'll be doing cinnamon. winter lagers yes. and uh, things while we because a lot of you don't know this, but the podcast gets better the more we drink. Just so you know. Yeah, at so, least in my head it does. Yeah, yeah good you know, point. <laughs> I can't confirm, but I also can't deny. Um, also, just just as we're tossing out dates, I'm actually going to be at Edwardsville Library yes. on uh, October 16th to talk about uh, the Mineral Springs and Milton School. They reached out, and they have an adult education program, and obviously that's the very, very busy time for yes. Troy. Uh, so I'm going to go out there and talk a little bit about um, you know the the legends and lore behind these places and and uh, yeah it was super exciting and when they reached the out of course oh I'm gonna I'm gonna have that shirt on that has you know yeah. everything um, yeah so I'll have more information about that coming out soon but I'm I'm super excited I, I couldn't believe it when I can't believe it every time someone signs up for the email list or every time I check the stats for the downloads that that people care about this stuff as much as they do or just the fact that you know, I, I started, I wanted to start this podcast. I remember coming up with the email to, you know, kind of cold email you about this in the beginning and just thinking like, I just want to be able to talk to somebody about my interest in this kind of weird stuff. And the fact that the community has, you know, it's resonated so well with so many people and other yeah. people are interested in it. It just, it, it blows my mind every single day. Yeah, and it's, I love and, it. And what's funny about it is so many of the people who have expressed so much interest in the podcast are not like... I mean, I, I've heard from lots of our like our regular readers and customers yeah. and things. I hear from them all the time, uh, you know, and enjoying it. But I hear from people who are not like our regular people. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, I have a lot of people that are regulars. Right. I mean, they, you know, whatever new book comes out, they're they're on it, you know, or whatever. And um, but this has been the podcast has reached a lot of people that I did not know that we would reach, which has yeah. been really cool uh, because it's it's sort of a different era, which is which is funny because. And you mentioned about the, the wearing the T-shirt, but uh, we just started a new line of T-shirts. I don't know if you saw the post about it. I or did not. not but we no. just started um, with a lot of different T-shirts, and one of the ones I've got planned in the next couple of months is one for the podcast. Oh, it's just my gosh. A, it's an American Hauntings podcast T-shirt. So uh, we're we're working on it right now, and we're we're slowly adding to the different shirts that That's we're doing. That's amazing. So yeah, we just started it, and. Um, as we're recording this, which will be probably a couple of weeks before you actually hear it, right? Uh, but uh, by the time you hear this, that one may be up too. Well, who knows? Yeah, so I mean, I'm wearing a podcast T-shirt right here, you know, and this yeah, is the last first podcast one on the left. Yeah, yeah that's a good I, one, so. I recommend if yeah, you like the one. stuff we talk about and you like a little bit more swearing and inappropriate <laughs> things, uh, go check them and out. And movie related stuff too. They yeah. do. They, they kind of cover it all. And they like actually that. mentioned Troy in an episode uh, when they talk about orbs and uh, they <laughs> yeah. they talk about how how much they hate orbs and they, yeah. they quote... They agreed me, with me. They yes. quote Troy a little bit and it, it's awesome. Um, anyway, alright. So Hartford I Castle. I don't want to digress. Yeah, yeah, let's go into the Hartford Castle. So... When I was reading your monologue for this the first time, I kept picturing in my head like the Great Gatsby, 
basically. And and I know it's probably not exactly accurate, but that's the picture I kept getting in my head. So can you tell me a little bit about like what was the actual you know like what did this place actually look like? Yeah, I can. I mean, I can tell you from the best of what I can 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 find. Um, that that's kind of the hard part here, is finding anything that's accurate mm-hmm. because. Uh, a lot of the newspaper articles that you find on this, it, I mean, it wasn't widely reported in the newspapers when he built it because this was just a guy building a house. Yeah. Um, the only reason I think it got the notoriety that it did is because it was unusual. Um, it was a big house, but no bigger than say, you know, half the houses you know in 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 the historic districts of Alton. I mean, it wasn't that big. Right. I mean, it's no bigger than the McPike Mansion or something, but. I mean, yes, it did have like, turrets on it, and mm-hmm. it did, did have the tower, so it did look like a castle, which yeah. is where the nickname came from. And, you know, the, the idea behind it was that he had built this um, for his wife to look like a home from England. Okay, um, so like Victorian style? Right, so it was, it was, it was kind of, and it was built in 1896, and it, and it did have a lot of that, you know, that Queen Anne, mm-hmm. Victorian type style, but it also had like some some castle to it. So it did have kind of a Gothic architecture right, style to right, it as okay. well. Kind of a mixture of the two. And he did have these these fairly unusual for the time and place. And I, I'll i get back to that because I think place is what's played into so much of the legend of okay. this. But he had, you know, it was an unusual place. He, he had built this, you know, the grounds here had, had a, it literally had a moat. Built around the property. Really? Um, I've it's, always wanted a moat. It's still there. I mean, the moat is the still, there. still there. Yeah, it's still there. He built a moat around it. It had a drawbridge, so it had kind of a, you know, a, a little bit of a kitsch factor. Were there alligators it. in the moat? No, but there were goldfish. Um, That's still kind of cool. It's I guess. Still kind of cool. Um, he did have um, statues of various, you know, like Greek themed you know women with Mm -hmm. vases and things and there were dogs he had a thing for mastiff dogs and there were lots of statues of dogs which are still out there really um and he he built like there was a concrete gazebo there were some small buildings and he did have his own water plant and electrical plant right on the property so he didn't have to like you know it was all Generator off style, the grid? yeah. So he was, yeah, he was completely off the grid. Because, well, where were you going to hook to Hartford? Because <laughs> well, I'm not sure they had electricity in 1896. So that's the so, thing. I, I'm confused now because you keep kind of telling me this house wasn't that big of a deal. But the more well, you talk about it, I feel okay, like it's a huge well, what deal. What it is is he had he had money, and the house may not have been that big of a deal, but the grounds were. They were okay. Very for you know Time. rule. Rural area outside of Alton and Hartford. Mm-hmm. This was out of the ordinary, which is what got people talking. Okay, All because right. it, it was out of the ordinary. It wasn't. It wasn't. A, it wasn't a farm property. It wasn't a you know a typical farmhouse. It wasn't even your typical mansion because of these grounds. Right. Uh, because of what he had built around it. Um, this was a guy who had a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, the the other thing is you know they made a big deal in the newspapers in 1913 about how oh he was from Los Angeles and yeah why did he know, have what, so much what, money by the way well he was a building a real estate developer okay. and a contractor in what was then L A which right. wasn't much of a city but it was growing so fast by the by the early 1900s and the late 1800s um, L A was starting to grow and mm-hmm. into the early 1900s. Um, things were really taking off out there and a lot of land was being developed and it was turning into a real city. So he had a lot of money from that and why he decided, I've never, if it's out there, I haven't found it. Yeah. What his connection was to here. I don't know. He was so tired of the traffic already. Yeah, right, right. I mean, you know, but I mean, LA at the time really wasn't that different from, Alton. I mean, yeah. it was orange groves. I mean, right. it was farmland and orange groves, and it was just starting to develop. But for some reason, he decided to build a summer house here, um, and ended up coming here, building this place. My guess is, if I had to guess, yeah, and just a guess, he had some sort of connections in St. Louis mm. uh, because there was a lot in the newspapers at the time. There were a lot of references to business people and wealthy people in St. Louis yeah. who came to the parties here at the house. Now, that's why I think Gatsby. I know. And, and right. And and I, and that's that's kind of I mean pre 1920s, pre roaring 20s. Right. Um that's the kind of descriptions that were in the newspaper at the mm-hmm. time of these 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 lawn parties with, 
you know, these very lavish, extravagant parties, right. you know, which to, you know, the farm folks and the simple people in the area, which the St. Louis people wanted to, St. Louis papers wanted to paint, you know, as these, you know, hayseeds around Alton right. kind of thing, you know, oh, that, you know, there's these wild parties and the music and the gambling and orgies and, <laughs> you know, anything to make this guy look like something he probably wasn't, but to make him look like this, you know, this rich, right. you know, heathen, yes. you know, that was living here in this house. And so from the very beginning, this house had been painted with this brush of, you know, these are the people you want to avoid. And, oh, those farmers are going to burn this place down because they're so outraged. Right. I doubt it. I doubt there was any of that. But it made for great newspaper copy at the time. I mean, one of the newspaper pieces that I have that I, I brought was, I mean, the, 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 the headline on this thing is the mystery of the moated Range. I mean, that's the headline the on this paper, and it says, Rich Man's Curious Country Home in the American Bottom has been given the name of Haunted Palace on the Hill by people living in the neighborhood. What neighborhood? There right. was no neighborhood. There was no neighborhood. I mean, this is, you know, a farm area, you know. Um, this is literally the first time I've seen Yeah, pictures. and there's another newspaper article um, from the St. Louis Star and Times, yeah. also from the same year, and you're going to love the headline on this one is, a turkey trot danced by spooks. They do the Boston, the Dallas dip, the bunny hug, and the one step in the old millionaire Byzance moated mansion. I mean, these are, wow. you know, talking about how haunted this place was after Byzant had abandoned the place. Um, and, you know, and again, they, they kind of paint this, this, this dude just, you know, we built this house and he just walked away one day. That's actually fairly accurate. Really? Um, he lost interest in it after his wife died. Um, he didn't ever live in the house again. He maintained it. He owned it for a number of years. Kept the caretaker. Thought, didn't you say on he the came property. back at one he, point, but every couldn't once really in a while, hang? Or... Yeah, he he would come back, um, just sort of to watch over the place and to make sure that you know it hadn't fallen down in his right. absence. But he never really lived there. Again. Well, wouldn't you just like sell it off? Or... Well, eventually he did. He did. Um, over time, he finally did. I think this. Um, this the story that that the papers ran with about this guy who broke in and then claimed that the house was haunted. Yes. I think that that was sort of the catalyst to him saying, oh, "Okay, I'm done," and because he sold off the house not long. Because that was that. my favorite part so, about it. Because I wrote even wrote down "ghost burglar alarm." Like yeah, that's the right, best line right. of defense you can have. And you know, and and how accurate. I mean, I found a couple of somewhat the same story but they vary just a little yeah, in right. in how lurid the well okay let's put it this way and how many cents per word the newspaper reporter was getting right. uh, changed the story somewhat and I think that there was kind of a lot laid on to this story that may or may not have been accurate but um, supposedly the story goes and at least according to a couple of sources this mm -hmm. guy broke into the house and um, spent the whole night there but was trying to get out and that was trying to get out. bedeviled by ghosts. And one of the newspapers suggested that the reason he couldn't find his way out is he wandered into that main hall, which you may have remember from the, yep. the dialogue was lined with mirrors. Right. And so he kept thinking he was going down one hallway and wasn't, and right. finally just gave up. And then was sitting in the hallway a few feet from the front door when Henry Meyer shows up the next day mm -hmm. to kind of check on the house and then finds this guy had broken in thinking he burglarized the place. Right. And, you know, this, the story, he told the police that, you know, he heard ghosts and chains. Uh, I think I left that out of my dialogue, the, the chains rattling that he uh -huh. heard and, you know, that kind of stuff. Right. But according to his story, he was, you know, bedeviled by ghosts while he was there and didn't end up robbing the house. But I think that the publicity from that incident is probably what finally got Byzant to sell the place. I'm um, although, you know, like I said, the newspapers did report that he was involved with spiritualists in LA at the time. Now, again though, by 1913, Los Angeles and, and Hollywood mm -hmm. was starting to take off. Right. Um, Hollywood has was starting to become Hollywood by that time. Yeah. Silent films were starting to, to come from California instead of New Jersey and Chicago, where the film industry really started. Mm -hmm. They had all fled west to stay away from Thomas Edison. He was trying to sue everybody. You know, it for making sound movies, like oh, him, right? I know, you know right? I asked so they Tesla. ended up in L.A., and L.A. was already starting to become, you know, Hollywood was starting to become this, this evil spot to all of the 
the church ladies across the of country. Course. The Bible you know, did not right. Like this place. was becoming a you know, and so here was this guy who would own this house where they had huge parties and gambling and orgies and all the sins. And, and so, of course, he was in L.A. Right. Because Los Angeles was the the city of sin. Of so, course. of course, and he's there, you know, with spiritualists trying to communicate with his dead wife. Mm-hmm. You know, so that seemed all very natural progression to the story. Right. And again, I can't tell you what what I told you in the dialogue was the best that I can tell you. This was what was reported. Mm-hmm. Now, because there just isn't a lot of history, because we're not talking about um, Abraham Lincoln's home here, where they can tell you exactly how much money he spent on nails yeah. and shingles. We don't know, because no one kept track of any of this. I mean, this was a house that was known more as a local subject of gossip mm-hmm. than it was a historic site, because, frankly, nothing historic ever took place there. Yeah. I mean, this was a, where a guy lived. His wife died, they had parties, he sold it, it was haunted. I mean, these are the stories. And then even from there on, we don't really know for sure. Again, we've got a lot of stories Mm -hmm. because everything that happened there afterward, you know, was it a home for unwed mothers? Well, that's what they say. Um, And again, that's not something that anyone would have advertised. Was it a speakeasy? Well, they definitely wouldn't have advertised that. But that's a story I heard many, many times about it, how it had been a speakeasy during the 20s, and there were a lot of parties there. It all makes sense. It was a great location for it. Um, You know, and a lot of times, you know, people pick the Shelton Brothers. Oh, they supplied the liquor. Well, in downstate and southwestern Illinois, the the Shelton Brothers are the Al Capones of Chicago. So everywhere you go in the Chicago area or Wisconsin or just about anywhere else, oh, Al Capone used to hang out here. Sure he did. Of course because he did, that's right. the name everybody picks. Right. I mean, were there mobsters there? Quite possibly. Was there bootlegging and, and going on there and drinking and it was it a speakeasy? Absolutely positively could be. But you know, was it the Shelton gang? Well, was it Al Capone? Probably not. It could have been anybody. You know, it could have been somebody who worked for him, could have been anybody else. Mm-hmm. I uh, you know, I've heard so many stories about you know, Al Capone. I my you know, we hear about, you know, Lincoln slept here and that makes this place famous. My in my world it's Al Capone slept here. Uh-huh, and if okay. I had a dollar for every place Al Capone slept, or every guy or every old guy I met who told me that his grandfather used to drive for Al Capone, right. I, I could retire. Of course. Um, because everybody picks, you know, good old Al. Um, perfect example. Uh, across the street from the Willowbrook Ballroom on Archer Avenue, southwest of Chicago. Um, there is an old roadhouse there, and it was built in, in 1936 to sort of complement the ballroom across the street. You know, it was a nice place you could come and dance and things. And they had this this roadhouse across the street where you could come and get liquor. Yeah. And there were there really were prostitutes upstairs. It was a brothel upstairs, and to this day, there are still buzzers up there where you could ring the bell of which rooms were occupied. The whole bit. Nice. So I mean, all of that is ac- is accurate, but. There was an owner of the place used to talk about how Al Capone and his brother Frank used to hang out there. In fact, they even called the place Frankie's Roadhouse for a while. Oh, okay. um, in a very short-lived time when he owned it. Well, Frank Capone died in 1924, mm-hmm. you know, um, 12 years before this place was built. Never could have set foot there. Right. Um, Al Capone was in Alcatraz yeah. by the time this place was built. Also could have never set foot there. So, you know, I somebody was doing a, a thing about Al Capone recently in, in the Willowbrook Ballroom. And I said, well, I said, that's all great, but you really should probably check your history here yeah. because that's not exactly accurate. Um, but they, they it's, it's, it's a natural inclination. No, they, they actually understood. And, and, oh, okay, got it. You know, but that's the story that had been passed along. And I'm sure that the, you know, Shelton Brothers and the Hartford Castle is the same kind of thing. I mean, I'm not sure of yeah. it, but it seems likely. It you know, sense. but someone could have provided bootleg liquor there. It's it's certainly possible. And that story's been going around for a long time. Yeah. I mean, what we do know is that that couple bought it mm-hmm. and lived in it for a while and had constant problems with trespassers. Really? Uh, people would break into the house. I mean, they would show up at all hours of the day and night because everybody knew about it. Yeah. And so many people had been there and so many people were familiar with it. It's the same problem they had with the Mick Pike Mansion yeah. before the Lutkeys bought it. I may people or may would not just, know right, everybody would just found their way in went there. in because yep. it was open and people could do it. And even after this this couple moved in and were living there, 
you know, people not knowing the difference or not caring just yeah. would come inside. And, it, you know, these people would wake up in the morning, there'd be people in their house yeah. just wandering around. Yeah, and I'm not clear I can that. see, no, me either. I could see where that would be disconcerting. I could see where it would be very uh, aggravating and mm-hmm. infuriating to the point where, you know, they put up no trespassing signs, nobody cared. Right. You know, and so finally they just decided that on weekends they would open it up for as a picnic area. It kind of makes sense. And it did. And I think that probably that helped, but not enough. So wait, so the, was the moat not deterring people? No, did, did because they I, don't think, I don't think the drawbridge was operational by that point, ah, would be damn. my guess. Right. I'm not sure it was built to last for generations. Right. I don't think anyone probably worked on it for many, many years. So. Well, well, you know, at first, when you started describing this place and, and um, everybody that's lived there and stuff, I started thinking more of like maybe this is an H.H. Holmes kind of scenario but now it really just <laughs> no. sounds like a really sad guy it is I you know I, you know? I think I think that's more more of it than anything I think that um, you know his time there maybe lasted 10 or 12 years and you know they put this place you know built this place and it was this country estate mm-hmm. like a zillion others I mean there are probably houses like this at one time, especially back then, all over the country, this was a guy who was a building contractor. He, you know, he had access to materials and manpower and knew what he was doing, built this place, you know, built these, these what seemed eccentric grounds in that time and place. Mm-hmm. Now, building the same house in Los Angeles probably wouldn't have got a second look because there are probably a lot of places just like it out there. But because of where it was, it seemed really weird. Mm-hmm. And so it, it makes me wonder how inflated some of the stories were about the parties yeah. and that kind of thing. You know, it probably got blown out of proportion. Um, well, you know, five people in a room having a good time too, like a farmer might be like, they're well, having a rage. Hey, man, have you ever, have you ever been out in the country and, you know, and listened to music play or a radio on or heard somebody talking and you're out in the country on a cornfield on a summer night, man, right. it really literally carries for yeah, miles. Absolutely. And so anything they were doing could have, would have carried for who knows how far. Yeah. And I think that the stories just sort of grew. Mm-hmm. And uh, but whether or not it was haunted, I mean, a lot of people said it was. I mean, that's one thing we can never, you know, guarantee. We pass these stories on mm-hmm. as you know being the truth because they were told as the truth. And yeah. So and and you and I have both, in a lot of cases on this podcast already in the in the last you know eight episodes before this one have expressed some doubts about some of the stories. You know, I, I'm sure that some of them are nothing more than legends and lore. And maybe that's exactly what this is, but people have maintained that those grounds were mm-hmm. haunted then, and some say they still are, yeah. because um, it's not a hard spot to find. Now, I'm not gonna encourage people to go out there. I'm not gonna give you detailed directions on how to get there, but right. I, I will tell you but it's you out there. you can figure it out. You can figure it out. And uh, But I will say, in, in Cody in my defense, uh, it is private property, and we are telling you right now: don't go out there. Just don't it's be an asshole. It belongs like, to the railroad. Right. Just don't. Um, it don't is private property, and so our our conscience is clear. Yeah, so, of but course. on the other hand, I have been out there several times. I, well, I wanted to ask you um, about when you, when you first heard about the castle, and then your trip to the site for the Weird Illinois series. Yeah, I had heard that. about it after moving to Alton. I had a lot of people come to me. You know, people started coming to me with stories, of course. and one of the big stories people came to me about was. The Hartford Castle. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was. I mean, back then, most people I talked to didn't even know that it had a name. That it was didn't even know it was Lakeview. Yeah. I mean, they didn't know. Um, they just knew it was the Hartford Castle. That's what everybody. That's knew the it only as. name I had ever. And heard. I think by the you know by the sixties and seventy early seventies, I think that everybody knew it as the Hartford Castle. Mm-hmm. And when it burned down, that was the newspaper story was, oh, the Hartford Castle was burned down, you know. Um, so a lot of people came to me and told me this story, and um, you know, I had just bare bones to start trying to look into it and yeah. have dug into it over time and unfortunately found that there's not a whole lot to dig into, but it's still the story is there. So when I was working on Weird Illinois, um, I had worked on Weird US. This was in 2004. I had worked on Weird US with Mark and Mark from Weird New Jersey, and they wanted to do, spin this off into several states. Mm-hmm. So Weird Illinois was the first one that we did. Uh, because I had worked with them on several things, so and I had tons of Illinois stuff, but I wanted to include the Hartford Castle in my abandoned section of the okay. book. Yeah, and um, so 
knowing it was close and knowing it was, you know, there was something out there I'd heard, uh, I went off, a buddy of mine and I went off on a quest to see what was left. And there is more out there than you would expect because you can't see it from the road. It's it's in the woods. It's still in some pretty heavy woods. So and was you it okay to, to venture out there when you did it back then? Or like, who, who owned it? How, how well, you know, the, the railroad the run, tracks run right next to it. Okay. And as far as I know, it is railroad property. So it is still private property. We can cut um, this out too. Back then, oh, to. that's okay. Back okay. then, there were... There were no signs. I don't know if there are now. There were no known trespassing signs. As far as I knew, mm -hmm. it was okay to go out there. So we did. And uh, we found the moat was still there. Nice. Um, there is some foundation, or was, some foundation of the castle where the castle was still there. But mostly it was the other stuff. It was the stuff from the grounds. There is mm -hmm. an entire concrete gazebo sitting in the middle of a lake which I, I, I mentioned that in the yeah. in the in the dialogue I was talking about that he had built these lakes they used for swimming mm -hmm. um, the lakes have mostly filled in with mud over time uh, as has most of the moat yeah uh, so there isn't a lot left but there is a concrete gazebo that sits on like what had been an island in the middle of this water yeah sitting out there um, there are several um, statues some small buildings including the um, Excuse me. The old power plant is still there okay. where the water plant was. That oh, building, right, no right. roof or anything, but the walls were still there. Um, a few years after that, I guess maybe five or six years, I went back and went in the fall. The first time I went was in the summer, and mm -hmm. we got eaten alive by mosquitoes yeah. because the moat has now turned into of mosquito course. pond. Right. Um, so we went in the summer and got chased out by mosquitoes. But I went back in the fall when the brush wasn't so thick. And found a lot more stuff. Um, took pictures of a lot of the, uh, like the statues of the dogs. Yeah. And that stuff, which is still out there. And some statues that have fallen over. Right. So there are still, you know, remnants of the Hartford Castle mm -hmm. out there in the woods. Um, there just really isn't a whole lot to see anymore. Um, you know, the, the, the stories say that Mrs. Bizant still haunts the area. I, I don't know. I could, she I couldn't died tell you in, the, in the house? Yeah, do, she do died we... there at the at the estate and um whether or not she still haunts the place i have no idea is there no um, are there no ghost stories regarding the fire and on all that sort of stuff i, I mean no, I say you know, now but I, I feel like the, a... the house was abandoned by then in fact it was in such horrible condition it's well it's kind of like what happened in the mcpike mansion mm -hmm. after it was abandoned people broke in and just they stole everything that wasn't nailed down yeah. and just ripped the place apart mm. and uh, that's pretty much what happened here it was in such sad shape and Somebody just, I don't know who gets a jolly out of this, but apparently somebody for fun thought, like it would arson, be, yeah, thought it would be great to set the place on fire yeah, and it's burn terrible. it down. And, um, you know, somebody was driving past because no one lives there. I mean, no yeah. one lives close by. Definitely not then. And uh, saw the place was burning, you know, called the fire department. By the time they got out there, it's, though. It yeah, too out of control. Yeah, yeah. and uh, it burned to the ground and it was gone. And that was the end of it, you know. And um, now, you know, like I said, all we have left are the stories, you know. So um, it's it's an interesting place, and it's one of those places that everybody who grew up around Alton, you know, uh, who have an interest in, you know, weird stories or ghost stories or whatever, knows the story. I just, I wish I could provide a lot more background to it, yeah. but it just... It just isn't there. At least none that I've been able to find. It's just not there. So what happens to to JJ? How does he end his? Or what was the last we hear about? The last him? we know of is he died in in Los Angeles. He went back to LA mm -hmm. and remained out there for the rest of his life. Okay. Never came back. Um, the records that I found, the, the the notations I found rather, that he died in the twenties. So he didn't live a lot longer than maybe a decade after he sold the place, mm. and uh, that was pretty much the end. But, you know, uh, the newspapers were, were happy to report that, you know, he was still trying to contact his dead wife. Uh, but whether or not, how accurate, again, how accurate that is, I don't know. It's so weird. Like, this one seems like a place that is almost notorious just because of how strange it was in general, more right. than, like, the weird things that might have happened. Right, there, than anything know? that really happened. I think that this is a legend that was created because the people who... 
lived nearby at the time thought it was odd. Mm -hmm. You know, um, more so than yeah, more so than anything they knew about it. So the stories just you know continued to be told. I think you know people who lived at the time you know would tell their kids about the stories about the place and yep. told their kids and they just sort of passed it on and over time you know by the time we get up to our generations the stories have been so watered down that all we know scenario. is that there's this right. crazy castle out there that was haunted and you know and that's that's pretty much all we know yeah. you know everybody knows the name the Hartford Castle but really couldn't tell you much about the right. history every it. town so, needs the the house on Haunted yeah, Hill exactly kind of thing, and, right? and according to the newspaper this was it right. this was the haunted palace on the hill yeah right yeah I love the name dispatch. that so. makes sense we good to All wrap right. it up then? I think we should wrap this one up alright well I mean again Troy mentioned it earlier but you know we're so appreciative of all the people that have listened and, and given us reviews on iTunes and signed up for email updates and just given us any feedback at all, positive or negative. I know I make jokes about it, but we really do appreciate all the feedback. So because you know we want to make great episodes. For yeah, everybody. we have we have altered our episodes somewhat. I think based on what people have told us, and we've appreciated that. And so you know, keep reviewing it, keep posting your reviews, keep spreading the word, keep passing it on. Um, you know, pass this thing on to to anybody you know that would be interested in it, and uh, we will continue I, I you know originally we started this podcast with the idea that we were going to um you know cover ghost stories in alton and then well we didn't know and now we've already got a game plan in place to finish up alton uh in a few more episodes yeah. and then we're going to be moving on to other places and other stories yeah and keep this thing going we're going to be at the dead of winter event in february we're going to do another uh live show at the haunted america conference in June at the Best Western Plus yep. in Alton, and that is a big national event, and that is a lot of people. It's so amazing. I won a Ouija we, board. Yeah, you did. One. Yeah, you did. I so love it. With, last year was Cody's first experience at our at the conference, and now we're going to be looking at 22 years coming in June, and we're going to be we're, we've decided we're going to wrap our strange stuff. Uh, segment of the conference into the podcast so we're not sure exactly how yet yeah but that's our plan we'll so it it's gonna be fun so just keep listening because there's a lot of stuff still to come um, every other Monday just keep listening and uh, we'll be here it was great I'm sad that this was my first one because when I was there I just I felt at home yeah. you know I was yeah. surrounded by people that that's were okay great. with exactly. me having weird ideas exactly. about stuff exactly. so that's why it's great it was awesome The purpose of this podcast is to combine historic record, folklore, scientific method, observation, and imagination in order to teach you a little bit more about America's most haunted places, including the town of Alton, Illinois. American Hauntings is a bi-weekly podcast. You can hear new episodes every other Monday, so please tune in to hear our latest episode and receive a brand new paranormal history lesson. You can learn more about our podcast and find new episodes on iTunes by searching for American Hauntings or by going to AmericanHauntingsPodcast.com, where we also have links to some of Troy's books as well as information about his upcoming ghost tours. As for your host, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at CodyBeckSTL or at CodyBeck.com. Find Troy on Twitter at TroyTaylor13 and on Facebook by searching for the Troy Taylor Author page or by going to Facebook.com slash AuthorTT. You can also check him out at AmericanHauntings.net. This episode of the podcast was written by Troy Taylor and it was produced and edited by me, Cody Beck. Some of the music in this episode was written and recorded by Charlie Brock at Lighthouse Sounds in Alton, Illinois. Find them at LighthouseSounds.com.